0: Hello, bonjour, and welcome to the Don't Waste Water podcast. I'm your host, Antoine Valter, and in today's episode, I'm very glad to welcome Hasmik Barseguian as my guest. Hasmik is the president of the European Youth Parliament for Water, among other strategic roles at the World Water Quality Alliance, the World Energy Council, the International Secretariat for Water, or Women in Climate and Energy. If you follow Hasmik on social media or discover her in a conference, You'll swiftly notice how incredibly active and vocal she is, yet youth's place at the table is not always a given. Hence, she'll explain how young voices like Camille Tien, Luisa Neubauer, Léa Namugawa, or Greta Thunberg lead a green revolution and how success can be defined as the point in time where the cause stays even if the leaders disappear. She'll share a wealth of examples of how young people have much to say if we ensure that their voices are heard, while warning us of how young water professionals might not be numerous enough which may result in missing human capital. In our conversation, Hasmik addresses how COP26 may be a good occasion to tell the world how much leaders and countries value sustainable development, how ambition and doing good in the water and sanitation sector boils down to reaching the UN sustainable development goal number six, how you have to be unhappy to finally realize how happy you were, how water may be used as a weapon in political or economic conflicts, and how human rights to water in conflict zones should be embedded in political agreements, but also how initiatives like the Blue Peace Movement enable young people from the same river catchment to work together, how water is more scarce than oil even if we speak more about oil than water, and how we need to find the right way to live with nature. We discuss building to last, passing the torch, the burden of climate change on women, human capital development, and much more. I hope you like this conversation. Remember, if it's the case, please share that episode with two of your friends, grab their phones and subscribe them to the podcast. Don't want to steal a phone? Well, you can also share that episode on LinkedIn, Twitter, or TikTok, or wherever you like, and I'll meet you on the other side.
1: For more information, visit gfps.com.
0: Hi Hasmik, welcome to the show.
1: Hi
2: Antoine, thank you for the invitation.
0: Well, I can't tell you how happy I am to have you on, on that show today. It's a topic that we will be discussing today, which is really full of many interesting stuff to discuss. So I'm going to try to keep everything within the boundaries of a usual episode, but you know, I might be talking far too much, which is already the case right now, but before we start, let's start with the, our good old tradition, so with a postcard. And you are in Yerevan right now. So what can you tell us about your place or your country?
2: There are two things that I want to share with you. First of all, this is the taste of fruits. And right now is the season of apricot. And just come now in Armenia, you will taste all types of apricots. Like I'm a fan of of this fruit and uh, I haven't found the same taste in elsewhere. Yeah. And the second stuff is uh, that Armenia is a country of chess, sport, the chess. And there are many famous chess players and even uh, it is taught in the schools. So come to play chess in Armenia.
0: Who's actually the best chess player in, in Armenia? Is it still Ar- Aronian or does it change?
2: Yeah, it, it is tr- still uh, Levon Aronian. And there are other players as well in the adolescents and uh, others as well.
0: Long, 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 long time ago, I had once one selection in, in the French team of chess players before they realized that I was just a terrible chess player. But I can say I have it somewhere in my resume. I had one selection. So it, that's why <laughs> I know that they are very good Armenian chess players. Actually, you know, usually when I introduce my guests, I don't need notes, but that's not the case for you because there are so many different things in your path. I was fascinated and I was wondering, when did you realize that you wanted to have a certain impact on environmental topics, even political topics? What is your path there?
2: Well, it is a long story as you can, but uh, well, the story is long, but the time slot is very short. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> or compared to that story for me water starting from water water is part of our collective identity a river or a lake reflects the life and memory of any region water is the link that binds everything so the priorities for water resource development worldwide are many protecting water and protecting people from water so besides social environmental emergencies, it is important to see the whole picture. You cannot take water separately. Water is everywhere, crossing from energy to health, from climate change to ecosystem services. So are the societies aware of that every sector will benefit if nature resources are managed in an efficient way? I'm not sure that societies are aware about it. So this interconnection of water, energy, climate, with all aspects of life, inspires me the most.
0: So, if our societies are not yet aware of all of that, how do you play a role in moving this this awareness forward?
2: Well, with many actions, and uh, well, I will tell you the uh, platforms that have missions and uh, and work with uh, with different with youth, of different uh, regions, different sectors. So one of them is my mission at the at present of the European Youth Parliament for Water, as well as I'm affiliated to a number of international organizations like World Youth Parliament for, for Water, International Secretariat for Water, UN World Water Quality Alliance. I'm also a member of the EU Water Alliance in Energy. Uh, this is the World Energy Council, Future Energy Leaders Program in Armenia, Women in Climate and Energy Platform. Well, coming to climate, I'm officially representing Armenia at this September's Youth for Climate Driving Ambition event in Milan, where we will work to shape the uh, climate agenda agenda for COP26 and pre-COP26 events, and so on. So there are different platforms, and, and fortunately, there are very enthusiastic youth that you can rely on, that you can work with them, and it gives more and more inspiration.
0: So first, I'm wondering how you pack all of that within a day. So that sounds (laughs) really a lot. And second, if I have to pick just one of them, can you tell us something about the European Youth Parliament, what it is and what your duties as, as the president are? So,
2: well, around 20 years ago, the International Secretariat for Water and Solidarity Water Europe founded the European Youth Parliament for Water. The parliament aims to promote youth involvement in the water sector, by increasing their awareness of water resource management issues and by fostering understanding of citizenship, democracy. And the parliament is building a collective voice of young people, supporting them to work together, to speak united and coherent. We raise youth concerns on European and international levels. And um, the parliament also attempts to build strong ties among uh, young participants and between generations. The recent uh, session of the parliament was the 15th session that took place in Nizhny Novgorod, Russia in 2019. Uh, it was a gathering over 7 days of around 80 young people and experts and uh, from 20 countries. So we explored together the policy orientation of river basins as backbone of regional development and uh, our the youth had the opportunity to learn about water management issues and also opportunity for personal development through different activities and well well we had different workshops so we had uh, that resulted concrete project proposals by our youth and in the end the parliament has elected a new board to represent their voice until the next session and carry the message of collective commitment so the new team consists of me representative from Armenia and two vice presidents Stas Peters from Netherlands and member of the Sh- Youth Parliament, and David David Lindau from Ecuador representing Belgium.
0: And what are your duties as the president?
2: Well, every time, every session, and every presidency sets its priorities for that session. So our priority is to raise youth voice and um, and make sure that youth can appear will appear on different platforms and will will be considered as a stakeholder.
0: Well. Talking of, of youth voices, it's hard those days to ignore that there is something happening. I mean, uh, many of us have heard, for instance, of, of Louisa Neubauer. Some have heard of, of Léa Namougarrois. And me as a French, I've heard quite a lot about Camille Etienne. And I think you would have to live in a cave just to ignore Greta Thunberg. And I'm just wondering, does this involvement of young people into sustainability topic, water topic, energy topic, does it always need a face? Or can it be all the young people out there that just raise their hand, start talking with uh, their neighbors, their parents, with the society, with anyone? What is the, this involvement of youth people? How should it look like if you want it to be effective?
2: Well, if we need to face or not, the answer can be yes and no. Yes, because those people, those faces are inspiring others, other youth groups, local youth, a global personalities and not only youth, experts as well. But we can consider that it it was successful when the movement stays without the face. So uh, the people that you mentioned, these are successful cases that we can forget the name of the initiator, but we always remember the initiative like it is the case for Fridays for Future and other initiatives. So when we have this, when the initiative stays, Without the face, it is a success. It becomes the ownership of all enthusiastic people.
0: The thing in common with all these faces these is that, of course, they talk about sustainability topics, but if you look a bit deeper into it, it's often carbon emissions, energy topics. Those are very important topics, don't get me wrong, but with my own lenses, I'm waiting for the water ambassador, which is going to drive water awareness forward. Do you think that water topics are valued out there at the level where they should, considering the challenges that we face in that sector?
2: Well, valuing water is a very interesting topic, I can say. So what is valuing water? It describes the qualities we choose to guide our relationship with water, the manner in which we treat water and our interaction with it in a specific context. So we need to work on fostering this relationship with water in order to encourage greater prioritization of the protection of freshwater freshwater sources, rivers, lakes, and water stored underground, etc., as well as better management of water services. If citizens better understand this relationship, they will participate more and join efforts to solve common challenges. So here we have a key word that is communication, communication with citizens, with decision makers, academia, businesses, all sectors in general. So whenever we speak about communication, global cooperation, we need to acknowledge young people's capacity for multicultural understanding and the ability to unite for common global goals and to build resilience to global challenges. So, Young people are the actors of change and are like bridges and facilitators of dialogue between citizens and decision makers and policy experts from local and global levels.
0: So does that mean that we would, let me include myself in young people, and that's all that I hope. We have a different way to communicate these stories to the world, or do we have to communicate them differently, or do we have to communicate already for ourselves, for the other young people, so that everyone gets this water awareness?
2: You know, it is important to make sure that valuing water on global or national levels corresponds to the understanding of valuing water on end users' level. We now we easily notice a disconnection of perceptions between different stakeholders. So I think we need to work on that in different sectors to make sure that people understand and value water as much as possible.
0: But your gut feeling, I'm sorry to insist on that one, your gut feeling on the value of water. I'll tell you where I'm coming from. You know, there was this full COVID. I mean, of course, you know, everybody knows that there was this full pandemic or you're really living in a cave. You don't know Greta Thunberg and you don't know neither that there was a pandemic. But we discovered with this pandemic, for instance, that wastewater-based epidemiology was a very, very good proxy to follow the various steps of the, the pandemic. But when you had a news coverage around wastewater-based epidemiology, you had a lot of bad jokes about, you know, it's smelly water, it's pee, it's poo, you know. If you're looking in a lab to a COVID sample, it's serious. If you're taking a wastewater sample and checking for COVID, then, you know, it's almost water that you flush from the toilet. I had this intangible feeling that the general perception about water is, is not yet to the same level of understanding than it is in, in other areas. If you tell me you disagree with that, I move on. <laughs> it's just that that's a perception, it's very subjective.
2: You know, when you do realize that you were you are happy, when do you realize it? You realize when you are unhappy. In that case, you realize that previously you were happy. It's the same with water. You realize better the value of water when it is polluted or when you have problems with water. When it is there, you are like, okay, it's, it's there, it helps in your life, near your everyday life, you don't, don't have problem, you don't realize the value of water. So um, to have a complete understanding of the problems related to water, we need to consider the transversal role of water. Water is passing through all the, all the sectors. So it means also to better valuing water in the sustainable development goals such as the role of water for resilient and sustainable cities and communities. This is one of them. For example, well, desertification, you know, is a challenge for citizens and young people because they are forced to live. When they leave rural areas, it puts pressure on the cities. In the Eastern Europe or in the Northern Africa, it is like a vicious cycle. These communities without good quality water or without adequate access to sanitation are not developing young people are living and young people are living and because of it, the territories are not developing. So you can think this example is not so relevant for the communities in the European Union, but you know, we talk about brain drain and demographic changes. So people will come, young people also will come to the areas where the areas are developed, where there are all the uh, conditions to live and uh, not to think about the needs that are related to water or water quality. Yeah, so the equal development for me means reconnecting citizens, young people to their territories to reinforce the feeling of ownership so they can participate in development of their country and community.
0: Well, that's a, a brilliant answer to a sub-average question. So so congrats. <laughs> <laughs> I really love your take. Uh, if I recall right, the statistics from the UN Sustainable Development Goals, it's about 700 million people that might be displaced because of water topics. So, So that is what we are facing if we don't act
2: yes exactly exactly
0: you shortly alluded to water quality i know that that is one of your your causes and i was wondering what are the threats that we are facing in terms of water quality what has changed that we need now to act on water quality and what is our role and what are the initiatives that we can do to act on water quality
2: well you mentioned one of the problems related to water quality Right now, I will tell you a statistic which is more shocking than it is equally shocking, I'll say like that, what uh, you said. According to UNICEF, each day nearly 1,000 children die due to preventable water and sanitation related diarrheal diseases. It is shocking statistics and it makes access to clean water and sanitation one of the most urgent sustainable development goals. While water quality has been improving in the developing world in the last decades, the water pollution trend in the developing world is worsening. Emerging chemical pollutants such as pharmaceuticals and pesticides are posing new risks for human challenges in water treatment. And the effect of poor water quality especially affects the poor women and children. And the children and young are, are inheriting the consequences of a today's water climate and environmental problems crises which impact their not only their health but also the chances of living in a peaceful fair world so we and young people young generations especially are in- inheriting the responsibility to find solutions in the future so we therefore need to adopt more inclusive approaches and involve these most vulnerable groups in the formulation of solutions consider them as solution providers for local challenges and involve them in decision-making on water. If you ask me about the initiatives, I can tell you two initiatives, but if you ask...
0: Please, please, (laughs) I'd be glad to hear about these initiatives.
2: Yeah, so I have two examples of initiatives on global level to share with you about water quality. So since October 2020, the European Parliament for Water has joined the World Water Quality Alliance, WWQA. The WWQA is a global expert network launched by the United Nations Environment Programme and the Joint Research Center at the European Commission, and the WWQA brings together a wide range of expertise in fields of water quality science, technology innovation, governance, and diplomacy to seek solutions to translate science on water quality into action. So the parliament is involved in the WWQA as core team member of the social engagement platform. In this framework, we try to create a mutual trust between all social sectors leading to a broad awareness of global local water issues. So more concretely, the social engagement platform encourages and supports the development of local water forums, a working platform bringing together various stakeholders to the local level and who wish to engage on concrete issues related to water quality in their community. So the communities and the organizations uh, working in a city, in a town, in a village are encouraged to join this, this social engagement platform. The other initiative is again related to, with WWK. So the parliament together with the Wet Skills Foundation have initiated the new youth engagement work stream on the WWQA to further increase youth involvement in this multi-stakeholder platform. And we aim to have different aims. One of them is is to create impact on water quality through youth designed and led local and global community actions, and also to make the sector more attractive for youth to study and work in. So I encourage youth led organizations working for water, climate, environment, to join the platform to make youth voice
0: stronger. Very impressive initiatives. About the last one, let me just uh, ask you something. If we need to make the sector more attractive, is it because the water sector has an attractiveness, a lack of attractiveness, or how did you feel the need to push for that?
2: Yes, actually, we are losing young professionals in water sector. And everywhere, those professionals are going to other sectors. The reasons are different, but we need to consider the role of water in the jobs and the job creation in this field. To find out more details, I encourage our listeners to check the report, the UN report on water and jobs, dating of 2016. So to uh, give you an idea how the jobs and uh, water is linked, so today's youth will, you know, will make up the majority of the labor force over the coming decades and their education, skills and health, collectively known as human capital, will be the most direct determinant of a country's future income growth. So investing in young people's human capital for education can lead to per capita GDP growth of up to 1.7% per year, according to the UN. So young people are key actors in job market and also key actors in raising awareness, running educational programs, promoting sustainable lifestyles, conserving water and nature, supporting renewable energy, adopting friendly practices, and so on and so on. So young people are the water users nowadays and in the future. So educating and engaging them is an excellent opportunity to share information widely with family and peers and Also, it provides space for cultural exchange, cultural change as well in the water management practices in the society.
0: So you've addressed many positive ways to look at it as the actions that we can ignite, that uh, the, the general international community can ignite. Let's look a bit, if you will, at the not negative, but a bit more restrictive side of that same coin, which is regulation. I mean, we are in a market which is heavily regulated for good reasons. I mean, environmental regulations and, and real, this is a this is driver uh, driver of innovation, driver of moving the full awareness forward. But I'm wondering, what is here the, the role that, that the policies and that political action can play in terms of creating the path, leveling the path through regulation? Is it a field where you're also involved as, after all, a parliament, the European Youth Parliament, or is it something where you need to have almost lobby action to see some new stuff regulated? And let me do a four in one question. What is the right level to regulate all of that? Is it local? Is it uh countrywide? Is it continent wide? Is it worldwide? What's your opinion?
2: Well, thank you for this broad and interesting question. And one yeah, European youth uh, are not they don't want to enter into politics, you know. And uh, there is a fine line that separates us from the politics. So I would like to address the, um, the question from the other perspective, from the perspective that is not so much discussed. It is the, well, it is discussed, but not so, so much, uh, especially in the society. It is the role of water for peace and what, the role of water diplomacy. So European youth are Standing for peace, environmental sustainability and humanitarian principles in all parts of the world, so beyond political boundaries in the European U- Union and in the larger Europe. So access to water and sanitation, considered it's a human right, you know, and we stand for democratic water governance and we want to see that it is reflected in the policies. One of our concerns is that is the topic water, peace, and security. You know that there are several recommendations by the international institutions, such as the Geneva List of Principles on the protection of water infrastructure, for example, during armed or other kind of conflicts. But, however, in practice, we see that there are some limitations. Saving the environment in, is the last thing in priority list of the sides of armed conflicts. For example, during the recent war in my country, in my region, burning of the forests of the Nagorno Karabakh by chemical phosphorus weapons was evident and that remain in the land for a long time and have an impact on groundwater sources and rivers. So, the population of the conflict zone and their environment, you know, they get the heaviest blow. So, sustainable are mes- one of the key messages as sustainable water resources management and protecting the environment should be one of the top priorities, even during time of conflict, beyond politics. So cooperation between people from the you know, from same river catchment area and neighboring countries or municipalities is of utmost importance. But in some cases, water is used as a weapon, as a tool to put pressure on the other side. For example, an an example is when an upstream country is building several water dams and this significantly decreases water flow to put political and economic pressure on the downstream country. There are examples in Europe and everywhere. Another example is when water infrastructures, hydropower plants, dams, Drinking water supply, sewerage, and irrigation systems are deliberately targeted, aiming to expel the population in the conflict zone and to gain military advantage. It was the case in the armed conflicts in Ukraine, in Nagorno-Karabakh in the South Caucasus, when the key infrastructures were severely damaged from regular bombardment and the population was left without basic conditions. And they were forced to seek refuge in large groups, in basements, within confined spaces, and especially in, during COVID, it spread more, the, the virus. So another major concern is to protect water sources and water bodies from deliberate pollution or from the risk of stopping water supply for agriculture use. This is also a way to use the water as a weapon. It is bad that we see these kind of cases, but they exist. And it is uh, like really very, very, very sad to see that. Again, I will come to a few examples. We have witnessed ethnic cleansing and hate speech toward the population of Palestine in the Middle East or Nagorno-Karabakh in the South Caucasus years, years before and during the armed conflicts. So the human right to water of people in the conflict zone should be considered and embedded in the political agreements. This is very, very important beyond politics. And You know, where the intervention of international organizations can pass very close to the fine line of politics, youth organizations are more independent and can be involved in the implementation of tools in Europe and beyond. So here it's important the reinforcement of multilateralism by joining all our efforts and using water for peace will help. It will help in, uh, in increasing the stability in the world. I can talk about water and peace topics for hours so just
0: to Please stop. do so. <laughs>
2: yeah. And actually we see European European water as leaders in facilitating dialogue and communication on sensitive topics and taboos and as pioneers in preventing future conflicts. So let's keep water as an element to push towards peace and young professionals can be like bridges for dialogue or the investing dialogue between governments, and uh, it should be considered a great opportunity. There are several grassroots projects by Asian youth, European, Armenian youth that are devoted to building peace and mutual understanding. I just I encourage you to check the recent article co offered together with Peter Wisniewski, the um, parliament delegate from Russia. It is published in a new publication of Geneva Water Hub. So I encourage you to check. And uh, yeah, there are several examples there. But if you ask me what is my favorite example, I can tell you.
0: (laughs) Well, let me ask you, what's your favorite example?
2: Thank you. So uh, the members of our Water Youth Parliament have a number of initiatives worldwide. One of my favorite initiatives is the Blue Peace Movement. Thanks to Blue Peace Movement, a young people of the same river basin are able to better communicate and they work together on the assessment of the Blue Peace Index in their river basin. So it helps to gather like, the youth from one river basin. It can be river basin of Kura Arak or so it can be the river basin Sheld or Columbia River. So we have Blue Peace movements in all parts of the world, from, from North America to Central Asia, everywhere. And through Blue Peace, young people are able to express their commitments to water and peace and participating in a way to political decision making and contribute to more equitable and peaceful society.
0: It's very interesting, the angle you have here, because we hear a lot about water wars, how water may be a driver to wars. And you come with the full opposite angle, which is water as a vector for peace. And that reminds me of uh, a discussion I had with Paul O'Callaghan on that microphone, because he was mentioning as the co-director of Brave Blue Word on Netflix that he wanted to move away from the doom and gloom stories around water and to instead present examples of what's happening out there in the world with other positive initiatives. And it's true that in the era of social media, not to blame social media at all, but we have this natural inclination in our brains, to be much more attracted to negative stories, to remember much more what's going wrong than what's going in the right direction. And you mentioned at the very beginning of our discussion, how important it is to tell the right stories and to communicate better around water. How important for you is it to build these positive stories around this common good we all share, which is water?
2: Well... You know, these examples of um, conflict, war, peace, it reminds me the words of Kofi Annan that he expressed in 2001, that fierce competition for fresh water may well become a source of conflict and wars in the future. So water can be a fuel for wars and conflicts, and it is more scarce than oil. But we speak more about oil than about water. Even though the link, you know, between water and conflict is never direct and straightforward, water and climate change are risk multipliers. And at the end of the day, we are all in the same ocean. Can we swim in this ocean? We need to decide now with our actions and activities.
0: That's a very good way to look at it. I'm wondering, you know, I mentioned as a joke, people might have realized that it was COVID. I guess everybody has. We are hopefully tending to the end of this COVID era. So there is hopefully a new world starting anytime soon. My question here is, do you think there will be a new world or is it a return to the old way of doing things? And I had guests on that microphone that shared that maybe the water sector was a bit too resilient. It didn't fail during the pandemic. So nobody realized a bit what you said before is that you have to be unhappy to realize you're happy and maybe we we did too good as a service to the people so they didn't realize how important water was because it just never got disrupted. So do you think this post-covid era is an opportunity? And if yes, what is the kind of opportunity that you would see that we could build in this new era?
2: Yeah, this is a very interesting question. Thank you very much Antoine. It's a question to reflect more about you are right. I agree with the point that water sector was more resilient. I think a lot of sectors relied on water. And uh, the pandemic itself relied on water. Because the simple example that you just need to wash your hands to be protected from COVID. This is very, very simple. Uh, but I want to hope that the new normal, in the new normal, we will not continue to make the same mistakes that we did before, For me, an exam, in, in exam or a checkpoint is the COP26 event in November. And during this, this exam, we will see how the countries and the organizations and the private sector, how much they have realized the weight of problems and uh, the importance of nature in the development they need to change all, their, all the mindset about the development and uh, to adopt new paradigms and new perceptions of uh, what is growth for them. Is growth just a percentage of GDP? Is the growth a better environment? Is the growth the health of population? What is the growth for countries and for organizations? So I'm waiting for this November's event, this exam of November,
0: Will you be at, at this COP26?
2: I hope so. We have uh, some projects and we are working on that direction. It is in my plans and I, I hope that it will take place offline and I will be there.
0: So the big return to the physical events. So that, that's going to be a, a change again. So that's the new new word. So. <laughs>
2: yes, yes, yes. You know, In this case as well, people realized how important it is to hug each other. Simple thing that's, they were banned to do, or uh, the personal relationships, or just walking in a, in the park, it was also banned in uh, in many countries, uh, so I hope that they will reevaluate and give a new value to their life and uh, to the future.
0: talking of walking in the park, you mentioned before how important it is that people get contact with lakes, rivers, to have a sense of, of what water does for all of us. That is something that Michael Stanley Galisdorfer repeated on the microphone for over an hour, and it was fascinating all the way long. And he was citing some studies that show that there's an economic value to bringing back water in cities, that it has been proven that for every dollar you invest in bringing back water in cities, you have a $4 return on investment. So it's a very, very powerful return on investment. Yet, those urbanization topics around water again, are not top priority. If you look at the news, it's about uh, shall we have less cars and and more cycles. It's not so much about that river, which is just flowing underneath the city, shall come back in the center of of city, so so that that people get the sense of what water does for our communities. How do we tell again that story? And do you think that is also an important element to bring in the center of the attention of everyone?
2: Sure, it is very, very, very important. And we need to find a way how to live with nature, not with the front line with nature, but with nature, in nature. We need to learn that and to make our cities not only more smart, but also more linked, more more integrated to the environment. And in that case, it will impact our health, it will impact our well-being, and it will improve our our effective, effectiveness in the work. And uh, yeah, yeah. And we will have less aggressive, uh, less aggression and less conflict, I hope.
0: It's a topic which uh, we've discussed as sponge cities, for instance, that are transparent to the environment or something I-, I discussed with Denis Mal recently around biomimicry, how we can be inspired and learn from nature to just treat our water and the water cycle as it always was through history. But, but somehow it's part of, of the human arrogance, if I may say so, we can do so much thanks to technique that we sometimes do it just because we can do it. And we forget that nature itself has millions of years of (laughs) R&D and and we can leverage that that, that R&D. But that is a vast topic and I don't want to sidetrack you too much here. But I guess those are kind of the topics that are discussed in events like the COP26. So somehow it, it is linked. A question regarding these big events, if I get it right your term as president of the European Youth Parliament for Water will be coming to an end? First, is that the case? And if yes, what's next for you?
2: Well, you're right. We can talk for hours about this, those topics of water, interconnection of water and climate, water and the environment. And uh, yeah, just a short comment about it. In reality, the solutions are not so complicated. One of the solutions for climate change is just, Having more trees and more forests. It sounds very simple, but it is proved by science. But unfortunately, we see that this is less reflected in the policies in the politics. But it's very simple. We need to have more forests, and forests will bring their ecosystems and uh, animals and their everything.
0: Just uh, reflecting what you just said, it sounds like you know a placebo effect. If we do something and if we run around. And we say, hey, we have done something, so it must become better. Whereas we are passive, if we say we need more trees, you plant a tree and you see it, you watch it grow, and it's gonna grow for decades. So as a human, again it's it's human arrogance. It's like I better run around and do stuff. And no matter if it's efficient or not, my placebo effect tells me I'm doing something. Whereas you're fully right, the solution is to plant trees, to stop acidifying the ocean, is to I mean, that was simple stuff. It's just to if we stop pushing the boundaries of nature well nature is going to solve it itself and we have to realize that we are not working together to save the planet no the planet is not going to die the planet is absolutely fine the planet will live without humans and have a wonderful life but we are saving ourselves if we don't do something now the one that will suffer are only the humans it's all about this arrogance and I get it I'm myself a water engineer I've learned how to do the ins and outs of complex systems and I'd love to solve everything with the complex systems but sometimes if it's dead simple it's much better so yeah fully agree with what you said
2: yeah I also fully agree with what you said about the about saving ourselves that's completely true it's about saving ourselves the planet can save himself. So. Himself, yeah. (laughs) Um, Coming back to your in general, the term lasts uh, two or three years. It depends at the time, and it lasts until the next session is organized. And the it was supposed to be organized this year, but yeah, you know, due to COVID and this this restrictions, it wasn't possible. And I think it will be next year. My ambition was to. And I think the ambition, the ambition actually of the whole presidency was to to leave work that the other presidency can take and build upon it, and to put all all my capacities, or all my networks, to use all of that to create something that the others, that other youth can build upon it. I hope that we have created something that the the next presidency can work on and. Uh, make the you, the voice of you stronger and stronger on different platforms. As for my person for my professional development, of course I will continue this the, the work. You know that there are uh, several other platforms that I'm involved in. and my ambition and actually I would like to enter in a European institution, in a decision making bodies where I can have more impact on the, my activities and my uh, professional work can have more impact and um, especially that there are already connections and network and understanding of society and and youth so when there is this connection with the youth and with society it is much easier to bring this to the tables and uh, of course there are several other uh, topics that I'm engaged in um, when I start something I want to pass it to someone else even though it is can be my project, but I, then I want to pass it to someone else uh, that it can grow in, himself. The project can grow himself, as I told you uh, a few minutes ago. The success is when we don't have face, when we have project, we have initiative. So this is the aim.
0: That's really a nice philosophy, and it's impressive, I have to say. Regarding the the other platforms you just alluded to, there's a last one where I'd like to have your your thoughts on it and to share a bit about it. It's um. The woman in climate and energy. And I'm sorry about that because every time I have a, a woman as a guest, I have to insist on, on the fact that it's a woman. I don't do it with the men, which is unfair when you think of it, but I keep repeating that statistic in the water sector, 83% of the professionals are male. So there's probably a problem somewhere if you consider that the talent is something about 50, 50. So what is your implication into this, um, this woman in climate and energy? And uh, what can we do to improve this gender parity?
2: Well, you know that men and women are impacted differently by climate change. And climate change places a greater burden on women because of the social and cultural roles and responsibilities that women have. Women are the primary food producers and providers of water and energy for their family. Therefore, they have greater responsibility for family and community welfare. On the other hand, global warming is one of the leading causes and greatest contributors toward hunger, malnutrition, exposure to disease and declining access to water. And climate change urges people to migrate. Uh, UN figures indicate that 80% of people displaced by climate change are women. Here as well, we see that women are more vulnerable and safeguarding the human rights of people whose lives are most negatively affected, such as women and children, is of course a key priority. Globally, women are more likely to experience poverty and to have less socio-economic power than men. This makes it difficult to recover from disasters which affect infrastructure, jobs and housing. And gender inequality restricts women's capacity and potential to be actors of climate action. So these gender inequalities include, for example, access to and control over resources, access to education, information, and equal rights and access to decision-making processes. This define that women and men can do and cannot do in a particular context uh, related to climate change or water or energy. So Climate change impacts everywhere and uh, all over the developing world, and including Armenia, a significant amount of women's time is spent carrying water or managing its use in the households for domestic duties. The simple things, preparing meals, cleaning, etc. So with Women in Climate Energy, we advocate for women we advocate for sustainable living and transformation to 100% renewable energy through our actions, through our activities, which are networking, trainings, capacity building, awareness raising, also mentoring to cultivate community and accelerate progress towards a sustainable future. I need to mention that the values and approaches that the organization carries concern women and men, not only women. So that can be like, clear. I can speak about this topic for hours. Maybe the recent project that the organization is carrying out is the Green Skills Project, where we work with school children to raise their knowledge, to build their knowledge on energy efficiency topic, on renewable energy topic, and, um, and they have already done energy measurements of energy efficiency level, yeah, something like that, in their school. In their community, and uh, several schools have also uh, received the grant, of some funding for the implementation of those measures. So, uh, yeah, it is very important to to work with the communities because we are speaking about society. There, there is no gender uh, front line there.
0: And if people listening to that want to help you in that endeavor, how can they participate? Wow,
2: well, you can. You can find us on different platforms. During this interview, I have mentioned several platforms that you can just find us on Facebook or on LinkedIn. Well, LinkedIn platform, the social media platform, you know, that this, make more, this makes things easier, you know, the social media platforms. For As for the parliament work and the youth in water work, you can find more information about the work of youth in different continents. Through our website, it is youforwater.org. I encourage you to join. If we are together, we will have a stronger. We will be stronger.
0: As usual, all the links that you just gave will be in the in the show notes, so that we have a direct access to it. Well, that's it for this deep dive. If it's fine with you, I propose you to switch to the rapid fire questions.
1: Sure. It's time for the rapid-fire questions.
0: So in this, in this last section, the, the rules are pretty simple. I try to keep the, the questions short, and you have to keep the answers short. And I'm always the one cheating and sidetracking, so, so don't worry. My first question is, what is the most exciting project you've been working on and why?
2: Uh, it is Bluepeace Index Workshop Preparation in Armenia, because it is about communication cooperation.
0: What is your favorite part of your current job?
2: Being connected with many people because they give me energy.
0: Did that change during this uh, distanciation time or is it still the same if you're online?
2: I tried to to be connected with them online with video calls and everything in all the ways possible.
0: (laughs) What is the trend to watch out for in the water industry?
2: Mm, There are different trends. Human capital development and digitalization.
0: Are those two linked?
2: In a way, they are linked, but I would recommend to watch them separately first and then link them.
0: What's the thing you care about the most when you're working on a new project? And what's the one you care the least?
2: Well, the most is the sustainable impact. And the least, well, (laughs) you may laugh, laugh, but the least is my personal financial benefits. (laughs) It's the least that I carry.
0: Come on, you, you're you breaking all my preconceptions about people involved in almost the political world. I thought you were doing everything but the common good and you were making a lot of money for yourself. Now, obviously, people don't see my face when they listen to that. I'm joking when I'm saying that. So.
2: <laughs> well, I am sorry. I'm here to break the stereotypes. I'm, I'm here for that. It's my aim. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and you're pretty good at that.
2: <laughs> Thank you.
0: Do you have sources to recommend to keep up with the water and wastewater market trends?
2: One of them, they have already mentioned, is is YouForWater, that org platform. We have an initiative, Butterfly Effect, that you can sub- subscribe to the newsletter and uh, receive the news uh, about water sector and the opportunities for you. Other one are like the famous platforms, Ivra or IWA,
0: Last question, would you have someone to recommend that I should definitely have on that microphone to to follow on your steps?
2: Wow, Um, I have a long list for that, you know. Uh, Maybe all the youth of our uh, youth water parliaments, (laughs) you can contact all of them. (laughs) I truly appreciate the work that other youth on other continents and everywhere Communities are doing. Uh, truly appreciate their work, and I would like to, I would like to see their work highlighted and uh, more discussed on this kind of platforms as yours. One of the, my admiration is Bota Sharipova from Central Asian Youth for Water, from Latin America Joyce from Colombia, uh, from Latin America Juan from Peru, from Armenia Naverha Chaturian, Liana. From Europe, um, Stas Peters from Netherlands, Amelie, Flavia, Margot from France, Yekaterina from Moldova, Matias, Rebecca from Belgium, Paolo from Italy, Peter from Russia, Radislav from Bulgaria. So you see, there are many names, and I will.
0: I think you get the message, <laughs>
2: <laughs> and I will give you their contact. And uh, yeah, and I think they will be very happy to share the story with you.
0: Well, Hasmik, it's been a pleasure. So many topics where I would say uh, we could discuss another two hours, but I have to be conscious of your time. You you listed all your organizations and roles, and I still don't get how you pack all of that in a day. So if you're on top of that, you have a, a crazy French guy raising you tons of questions. You just cannot make it. So I'm going to leave you with the, the rest of your day. And thanks a lot for sharing all this insights with our audience. And yeah, hopefully talk to you soon.
2: Thank you very much for the invitation, Antoine. It was a big pleasure for me to have this exchange with you and uh, this conversation. And I hope that we'll meet soon in person,
1: somewhere in the world.
0: Maybe at COP26, who knows? Yes, (laughs) of course, hopefully.
1: (laughs) Thanks for listening to Don't Waste Water. This podcast was brought to you by GS Piping Systems loved this episode? Head over to Apple Podcasts to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. See you next time!